Wow. Michigan at the 41. What a hit! Ball's free on the ground. South Carolina deserves to have it, and they do. Cloudy just says, I'll take care of business right here. You give me this long to catch my breast, I'll come off the ball and rock you and get it right back for our offense. Well, you're going to make some mistakes in the course of a football game, but don't make a mistake against Jadavian Clowney. He'll ruin your day. This is the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You've got Matt Smith here with you. We'll hear from Rick Sanford, the first first-round pick in Gamecocks history in just a little bit. But boy, is there a lot of ground to cover because South Carolina women's basketball wrapped up their SEC championship. Congratulations to Dawn Staley. So they're moving on. They'll be almost certainly uh, the number one team in the country heading into the NCAA tournament. The SEC women's basketball tournament is in Greenville. And there's also a regional being held in Greenville. So a great path forward for Dawn Staley to go for her second national championship at South Carolina. So, a lot of good vibes there. Hey, and Frank Martin was in a better mood. We'll we'll hear the latest comments from the men's coach, Frank Martin, as well on today's show because he's kind of gotten over where he was Saturday. He said he, he spent all Saturday night after the loss to LSU getting out of his feelings. So, now he feels a little bit better about where the Gamecocks are. And of course, four games left in the regular season. South Carolina could go 4-0, get to 20 wins. So, we'll see where Frank Martin is and how they think they're going to do it. Jalen McCrary is back healthy for South Carolina. That's going to help. Uh, and you'll hear Coach Martin talk about that a little bit, uh, about you know how significant the loss was for Justin Manaya. Uh, why that changed the way they played on offense and on defense, and why Jalen McCreary is such an important chess piece to South Carolina. And, lest we forget, spring practice is here. It starts tomorrow. Later today, Will Muschamp is going to have a press conference. So we'll have some of that for you on tomorrow's show because now is a time where there's tremendous transition in the South Carolina football program with Mike Bobo taking over as offensive coordinator. So South Carolina is going to try a few different things. Um, and so that's why, you know, and on tomorrow's show, we'll also we'll dig into what Dr. Rick uh, has to say about spring practice, what it means, because he went through so many of those, obviously, and then went through training camp in the NFL over seven seasons. I know there's a lot of stretching and water breaks, but with this time of transition, what are the coaches evaluating? And not just where do the Gamecocks specifically need to improve over the next month? Because I think we all we can all agree on that. We know some of the things. We can lay it out. Offensive line play has to get better for South Carolina. More consistent at the quarterback position. But all that's going on with installation and concepts. We know Mike Bobo wants to run the football. We know he wants to utilize tight ends and, and H-backs. But is that something that's going to be honed during spring? Is the physicality there during the spring? Or will the next 15 practices just be about concept, installation, and, and maybe finding out what he can do, what pieces he has to work with? So we'll talk to Dr. Rick about that. That's going to be uh, a lot of fun, just tracking the Gamecocks this season uh, when it comes to spring practice. Now, 
here's you know this is something for the the real geeks like me uh, the heights weights jersey numbers are out for all the early enrollees now i don't know exactly how newsworthy these you know these are but uh marshawn lloyd kind of the headliner here uh you know he's expected to be a key piece in the the transition to mike bobo's offense at the running back position and, and lloyd's gonna wear the number Hey, it's going to shine a light on yourself, man. Ryan Bethay wore it. Alshon Jeffrey, Debo Samuel, number one. Marshawn Lloyd is, is going to sport number one, and he probably is the number one recruit in terms of importance to what Mike Bobo wants to see get better for South Carolina. Don't forget you've got Shai Smith out there, too, with the wide receiver position, where I expect he'll be utilized in some of the ways that we saw Debo Samuel utilized, but it's going to be in a different offense. And who backs up Shai Smith as well? Uh, because I, I think he's good enough to be a number one receiver on an SEC team. I think Shai Smith's an NFL guy uh, out of Union County. I saw him play in high school, loved him there, loved what I've seen from him in college. I just think South Carolina's got to do a better job of getting the ball in his hands. He's such a playmaker. So I think that's something Mike Bobo is going to do. I think he'll be a key piece. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I, that's that's probably what I'm sh- as sure of as anything heading into spring practice. But as far as heights and weights, Marshawn Lloyd, 5'9", 212 pounds. That's already up a dozen pounds from his listed weight of 200 in high school. Um, now, I'll have to see more of him before making a determination about what kind of size is going to suit him best. Uh, you know, we... We don't know Marshawn Lloyd. I mean, we've got the film from high school, but we need to see him against big time competition. We need to see him play and and see what, you know, what he's doing at 5'9, 212 pounds and, and what kind of player he's gonna be. I mean, that's that's a great size. There's nothing wrong with that size. A lot of great players uh, in NFL history have checked in around 5'9. I mean, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, Frank Gore, those guys are all 5'9. Um I, I know Walter Payton was 5'10. Marshall Falk might be actually the the closest comparison to Marshawn Lloyd in terms of size. Marshall Falk was, you know, playing at San Diego, San Diego State around 205 pounds, played in the NFL like 210, 5 feet 10 inches tall. Uh, I think that's about where Thurman Thomas was too. So you get the point. You you know, and a lot of those guys were good receivers out of the backfield. Uh, so let's see if Lloyd has that in his game. Um, that, again, you can look at all the high school film you want, but I mean, I, I covered high school football for a long time. The players and who they are in high school and then who they are in college can be different in terms of style. Um, you know, we draw some insight from looking at Lloyd play in high school, but I can tell you from covering high school football, you know, different elements are going to show up and, and different elements of a player are going to be accentuated when the competition gets tougher. Marcus Lattimore is a good example, someone that I covered at Burns High School and unbelievable player in high school and an unbelievable player in college, but different. Um, Marcus was able to get the corner off in times in high school and in college, he didn't even try. Uh, to me, it was his, his cutback ability, his vision, his leg drive, especially his vision. I, I, I saw him play in high school. I never thought he had anything in common in terms of style with Emmett Smith. And then watching him at South Carolina, the way that it seemed that there was nothing there and then he would run through an arm tackle. It was so reminiscent of Emmett Smith. So it's just when the competition gets higher, players' styles change. I mean, just 
anybody that saw college basketball, Michael Jordan was a different player in North Carolina and then in the pros. It's just the way that it is. So different things are going to be accentuated. And then you get coaching as well. And you find your own style. You know, like a boxer training. You find your own style with what works. So I just can't wait to get a look at Marshawn Lloyd at the collegiate level and see what he's bringing to the backfield. Um, so anyway, there's so much. We'll look at, uh, you know, where these guys are. I'll go over the jersey numbers for you, too, in case, uh, you know, for the spring game purposes, what they're going to be wearing next year. But I'm really going to hone in on on maybe the the weight, who's going up and who's going down, which will give you an idea as to what the coaches are asking of those players. So we'll do that when we come back here on the Locked on Gamecocks podcast. You know, Luke Doty, Colin Hill transferring, former Dorman High School quarterback transferring in from Colorado State. Um, the offensive lineman who's gone up in weight, who's going down, uh, and what their heights and weights might tell you about whether the coaches want them inside or outside. We'll do that. We'll also hear from Frank Martin, and we still have Dr. Rick Sanford ahead, all coming on this edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. It's your team every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You've got Matt Smith here with you, and we'll get into basketball because it is basketball season, and Don Staley did just win another SEC championship, and Frank Martin's trying to get his troops into the NCAA tournament. We'll do that. We've got that coming up, but uh, stay with football with me for just a minute. Spring practice is starting tomorrow. Later today, Will Muschamp holds his first press conference of the spring and we talked about Marshawn Lloyd in our last segment and just what a key piece he is to what Mike Bobo wants to do. The quarterback position is going to be fascinating as well. Um, Luke Doty's coming in from Myrtle Beach. Had that arm injury uh, or hand injury that kept him out of the high school playoffs this past year. But that's all you know. expected to be healed. He's expected to be able to go. He's going to be wearing number four at South Carolina. He's listed out 6'1", 205 pounds, listed at 188 in high school. Um, so I, I don't know that there's there's much to say there because that he's just putting on that college weight uh, that you anticipated, probably good weight room weight. Uh, and same story here about style with Luke Doty, as we were talking about with Marshawn Lloyd, but now at the quarterback position. Doty was a dual threat at Myrtle Beach. But I've seen guys, look, I, I was there you know, Phil Petty was at Boiling Springs. He was a dual threat guy. But that style really changed once he got to campus. So when Doty sees the college speed, he'll have a choice to make, like a lot of athletic quarterbacks. Uh, does he Is he a scrambler? Does he settle into the pocket there at South Carolina? Um, I, I found one registered 40 time for Luke Doty. And I've seen some film, but I saw the, the 40 time at 4.6. You know, that... That probably doesn't tell us enough uh, because there's been plenty of guys that uh, move the chains running a 4-6. You know, they don't have to be a 4-4 guy. You don't have to be a 4-3 guy like Lamar Jackson. Uh, we had LeVon Kirkland tell us how difficult it was to play against Mark Brunel because Brunel just always seemed 
to pick up third and four by running for four and a half yards. There's been plenty of quarterbacks that ran four fives and four fours as well that weren't really mobile quarterbacks. I mean, Dylan Thompson was a mobile quarterback, great straight line speed, but he didn't utilize it that often. He wanted to make plays with his arm. You know, just that that marriage of Dylan Thompson and Steve Spurrier calling plays, that's who he wanted to be. That's what was expected of him. So what about Luke Doty now with the marriage with Mike Bobo? So, you know, it's not just that 40 time. It's how effective a runner you are and your willingness to move out of the pocket. Uh, And that's a question we're not going to get the answer to right away. So I guess we talk about it here. Uh, Luke Doty coming in. We really won't know. Think about Connor Shaw. We didn't know Connor Shaw, the quarterback, everything he brought to the table until, what, midway through his sophomore season or later? So we don't know about Luke Doty, and I don't know that he knows yet either. He's going to have to go through a spring and then see collegiate speed and then go through the SEC, and that's going to determine what his style will be, what kind of quarterback, and how much he can contribute to South Carolina right away, or if at all. Maybe Ryan Alinsky just wins this job outright. We'll see. Uh, Colin Hill's in at quarterback as well. He'll keep his number 15. He's worn that all the way back to high school at Dorman. Uh, He's transferred in from Colorado State, listed at 6'4", 230 pounds. So I wonder if if he's a dark horse in the quarterback race because of his familiarity with Bobo's playbook and coaching style. Uh, You know, the drills that you're going to be going through in spring practice, Colin Hill's going to have a step up, uh, a leg up on the other guys because he's going to better know what Coach Bobo expects and is looking for than the other candidates will. A really good player out of Dorman. Outstanding player. Now, he's endured those knee injuries, so the mobility is going to be a question. But if South Carolina is kind of all in with the pro style, if they're going to use two tight ends, run the football with players like Marshawn Lloyd, and then play action and look downfield, Colin Hill may be in the mix at the quarterback position. That's something to watch for as well. Uh, you know what? We will stop with the quarterbacks there. So we've done Marshawn Lloyd and the quarterbacks. You know what? You, you know what numbers they're wearing. But we're going to have to take a lot of time to dig in with what's going on with some of the defensive backs that are in, that are in early and the offensive linemen and what positions they might play, whether they're a guard, tackle, or center, and what they did in high school or in the case of a couple of guys at junior college and how that might translate to life in the SEC. So we'll do that as the week goes on, and we'll get more information as well from Will Muschamp tomorrow, and you'll hear from Coach Muschamp on the next edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. So we'll take another break, and when we come back, we've got Frank Martin and Dr. Rick Sanford. And this time, we're going to pick Dr. Rick's brain about hoops and the Gamecock basketball team, where they've been, where they are, and what they need to do to get to the NCAA tournament with four games remaining. Do they have to win them all? Is 3-1 and one good enough? We'll have Frank Martin's thoughts on that as well when we come back. It's your team every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Gamecocks.
This is Locked On Gamecocks. Smitty here with you, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are just a day away from South Carolina starting its spring practice. Hey, we're also a day away from South Carolina getting back after it on the basketball floor because uh, they've got Georgia. And one of the best young players in all of college basketball, Anthony Edwards, visiting the Colonial Life Arena. And Frank Martin knows exactly how tough a chore that's going to be. But first, let's hear, before we hear from Frank Martin, we'll finish with Coach Martin, but let's hear from Dr. Rick, uh, Rick Sanford, who is uh, also a part of this show, Locked On Gamecocks, and you'll hear from Dr. Rick on a near-daily basis. Um, Rick Sanford, of course, the first first first-round pick football uh, from the football team in Gamecock history and uh, has a great mind for basketball as well. He was a tremendous player in high school, almost, almost, went to Wake Forest on a basketball scholarship. How different his life would have been. Uh, and I don't know if we would have ever crossed paths if that would have happened. He would have been up there in tobacco country uh, playing hoops for Wake Forest. Probably would have played a lot more golf up in that direction. But instead, he goes to Columbia, ends up in the NFL for seven seasons with the Patriots and the Seahawks. And uh, Dr. Rick and I have been tracking this basketball team throughout this year, and there have been a lot of ups and downs, as there usually is with Gamecock basketball, but they need to finish strong. But how strong? If we would have been having this conversation a week ago about South Carolina and NCAA chances, I I probably would have put their chances of making the NCAA tournament at 80%. They had just won six of eight, um, and it looked as if they just needed one of the wins either on the road against Mississippi State or at home against LSU to really solidify that resume. But now they're maybe backs against the wall. Here's what Dr. Rick has to say about the Gamecocks and their NCAA tournament chances. Well, as you said, and I totally agree with you 100%, a week ago you and I were talking about, well, you know, it looks like South Carolina's probably going to get in the tournament now. I'm not so sure right now after watching that performance uh, uh, the last uh, couple of games against Mississippi State. Those performances were not good, uh, also against LSU. Um, This team just has a a terrible problem being able to put the ball in the basket. just can't shoot. And, um, you know, it's a good thing they play defense or they'd be run out about every game. But I go back to one game, you know, I think it may have been Arkansas or somewhere where they made like 16 three-pointers. Where has that team been? You know, where has that team been since uh, since all of, you know, this, this current uh, streak seems to be going? I just don't know if they're going to have enough uh, at the end to uh, get themselves in position uh, to, to be a – NCAA team, um, you know, it, it, it. they were playing so good there uh, a week or so ago, and then now, you know, you've got to still, you're going to get Mississippi State, you're going to get Georgia, and you're going to get Vanderbilt. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt you've got to win those games. You've got to win all those games now. And, uh, you know, looking forward, I just don't see any, any, any way, Smitty, that these guys are going to be able to capitalize in getting in the tournament without winning all those games. So Dr. Rick thinks South Carolina needs to not just finish strong, but probably needs to stack up four more wins in order to make the NCAA tournament. And look, that makes a lot of sense because you need enough wins to get in the conversation. As Frank Martin's about to point out to you, South Carolina has quality wins. You know, with the wins over Virginia and and, and others, they've 
They've stacked up wins on the road. They've beaten quality opponents both in conference and out of conference. They just need enough wins and a high enough net ranking to get in the room, in the conversation, in that, boy, I hate to use the term bubble, but you got to get in the bubble so that then those quality wins mean something, and they don't mean a thing if you lose to Georgia or Vanderbilt down the stretch. Now, Dr. Rick said he thinks they need to win them all in the regular season. I, I do think, and look, none of this happens in a vacuum because other teams on the bubble are going to win and lose as time moves on. I do think South Carolina probably needs four more wins, however they get it, maybe three in the regular season and then one in the SEC tournament. But however they get there, they probably need 20 wins in order to solidify their spot in the NCAA tournament. But honestly, Frank Martin's not that worried about it right now. He's refocused, and he's taking it one game at a time. And we'll finish up with Coach Martin and all the reasons that he's optimistic about this team as they move forward. He's also, I left something in here in this excerpt about the loss of Justin Manaya and why that's so important to South Carolina and why it's hurt them so much. But the positive spin on that is with Jalen McCreary coming back to full speed at South Carolina. And, and Coach Martin said uh, during the press conference that Jalen's going to be able to practice at full speed for two days. So in preparation for Anthony Edwards and Georgia, Anthony Edwards again, SEC Freshman of the Week for the third time. Uh, as, as Georgia beat Auburn and Vanderbilt last week. So you'll hear that and also why it is that he thinks South Carolina's resume is strong. They just need to avoid a losing streak here at the end. If you don't have quality wins at this time of year, then yes, that loss would have been a detriment to our possibilities. Um, we've got enough quality wins. We just need to win games. What we can't afford at this time of year is a losing streak. I've seen one minor uh, adjustment by Georgia from the last time we played to now, and maybe it's just my eyes. I, I, um, um, I thought the first time we played, we were able to minimize how much uh, Edwards had the ball in his hands. So he didn't have it in his hands a lot. Uh, and uh, as I've been trying to prepare for them yesterday, I didn't prepare for anything Saturday night other than get out of my feelings. Um, as I tried to prepare for them yesterday and all morning today, I think the one, maybe I don't know if it's an adjustment or my eyes are just, I'm so concerned with him, my eyes are telling me something they didn't tell me the first time around. Um, the ball's ending up in his hands sooner in the possession. So, um, so we 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 got to be prepared. He he he's he's a real good player. Uh, I don't know the young man, but I know a lot of people that are known him his whole life, uh, and everyone raves about um, the competitor that he is, who he is as a human being. Uh, so, of all the things I'm being told, connect. Uh, we're gonna get like a big time shot from him on Wednesday. We we've got to be prepared uh, to to absorb a very, very aggressive, very good player um, and, and figure out a way to neutralize that best we can. 
how much does not having a Justin Minaya change structurally the kind of lineups that you can sort of play, uh, obviously with his versatility and ability to play a couple spots and with different sets of people? Um, yeah, it's the, the Justin had, had, had created, Justin was our leading offensive rebounder. Uh, I want to say if you kind of took a snippet, meaning the maybe 10, 12 games before his injury, he had actually was either tied or up a couple of Mike Coates are in block shots. So Justin had developed a uh, help he developed, which had given us a toughness personality at the rim with a guard defensive ability. Uh, so when we play teams that play small, for lack of better words, um, we didn't lose our physicality or ability to defend on the perimeter. So when you lose him, now you, you, you got Mike, who's fine there at the four spot, but you lose Justin's three-point shooting. So now you have to figure out a way to make some adjustments offensively to, to circumvent the fact that you got one less shooter on the floor, uh, which I think we did by trying to create more opportunities for Mike, not from the three-point line, but from the 15-foot mark. Um, but what happens is now that puts greater onus on Jalen now becoming more productive as a basketball player. And, and then it makes Alonzo and Wildens, when you play smaller teams, have to impact the game. Well, then you lose Jalen too. Now you're playing a team that plays small. And if you're playing Mike at the, five, at the four, then either Alonzo or Wildens is at the five. And when one of them are at the five, and you're playing a team that plays five guards, it's, it, it complicates things a little bit because neither one of them is in a place. Like, I'm not part of this new wave thinking that dominant big man can't play in small ball. Uh, give me Shaquille O'Neal. Give me Hakeem Olajuwon. Give me, give me real centers, not pick and roll centers, centers that go in there and throw their body around at the rim and demand that you throw them the ball. Good luck with small ball trying to deal with that guy because you're going to have to double him every play. So now guys are getting step-in threes. And if you don't double him, he's going to destroy you at the paint, which deflates your team. See, analytics doesn't read that. Analytics are numbers you put in a computer and it spits it out. You know what analytics don't do? What deflates the other team? That deflates the other team. And Wildens and Alonzo are not in a place where they can be that dominant low-post offensive player. Um, when it happened, I didn't probably didn't say it publicly, but it's the one player that we didn't have anyone else like him on our team in Justin. He's the one guy that, that's different.